Hey, it's Jesse. So we're getting closer and closer to the end of the year. It's a time when a lot of people support their local public radio station. Even podcast listeners like you. Look, sometimes listening brings a smile to your face. Think back to a moment this past year when a bullseye interview brought you some joy. Now, grab that thought in your mind. Hold on to it. Want to share that feeling? Donate to your station and pay it forward. It'll make you feel good. It'll make other people feel good, too. Just go to donate.npr.org slash bullseye to give. Then tell us why you're spreading good vibes this holiday season with hashtag WhyPublicRadio. That's donate.npr.org slash bullseye. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. Now look, you are an NPR listener. You're informed, so I probably don't need to tell you that it has been a pretty intense news year. You might think I'm about to rattle off a list of current events and politics and all that stuff, but that's not what we do here on Bullseye. So instead, I will say this. 2017 was a lot of terrible and amazing and thrilling things, but it was also a banner year for stand-up comedy. That's a little bit more in our wheelhouse. So this year, the Bullseye team put our heads together. We mined the internet for the best in stand-up comedy. Big names, small names, folks who've been on the show before, folks I want to have on the show again. You're going to hear comedy from people like Dana Gould and Emily Heller and Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher and Roy Wood Jr. There is a ton of great stuff coming up. And a quick heads up before we begin. Some of the acts that you are about to hear on the show use swear words. They will, of course, be bleeped out. But if you are listening to this uh, with kids or something, um, then now you know what's coming. Okay. All right. Let's do this. It's Bullseye. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. First up on the Bullseye end-of-year comedy special, one of the funniest human beings in the world, Dana Gould. Dana's been a stand-up comic forever. He helped invent alternative stand-up comedy. His writing credits include The Ben Stiller Show, Super Adventure Team on MTV, Christella, The Simpsons. He has 125 episode credits on The Simpsons. So that's like a fifth of the full run of the show, or one and a quarter of the full run of another very successful show. Dana's latest stand-up album is called Mr. Funny Man. It came out in October. Here he is, Dana Gould. My father was a bartender for a large part of my childhood, and he would come home from work in the middle of the night, in the middle of the week, just come into our bedroom, turn on the lights, and just start singing. But he was hammered. So he'd only get about a line in, and then he'd just start to riff. (laughs) When Irish eyes are smiling, you have to show your teeth, cause that's a big smile, and your eyes have teeth. (laughs) What is going on in here? Well, it's Tuesday at three in the morning, and I'm nine. 
Indirectly, I'm buying a psychiatrist a boat. And I never became much of a drinker. I, you know, I went straight to antidepressants. I did. Every day I take a Zoloft about the size of a hod brick. I just keep it in the glove box and hit it at stop signs like a deer at a salt lick. And when I first started to take anti-anxiety medication, like friends of mine, not everybody, but certain more, you know, sort of groovy homeopathic types were like, Dana, you're still feeling the anxiety. You're just masking it with medication. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what it says right on the label. Masks anxiety with medication. You know, in the winter, I still feel the cold. I mask it with a coat. Because I'm a coward. Dana Gould. You can follow him on Twitter, at Dana Gould. He created the show Stand Against Evil, a kind of horror comedy show on IFC. And... He is the host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Dana Gould Hour, which, be warned, is often like two and a half hours long. You're listening to Bullseye. Our next comic on our Best Comedy of the Year special, Kate Willett. Kate released her debut album in May of this year. It's called Glass Gutter. It was recorded at the convent in San Francisco. I feel like the barrier is kind of changing. It's still hippie, but there's also like this whole tech thing that's going on now. Like, I even used to work in tech before comedy. I was the only woman in an office of 20 people, and I was the HR manager. And like, so when I was writing the sexual harassment policy, it was just like, well, leave Kate alone. <laughs> I was living in an art commune, and uh, I would have like a lot of my more like square friends say things to me like, "Kate, why are you living with twenty stoner dudes? Like, it's time to grow up, get an apartment, get in a healthy relationship." And it's just like, okay, well, you were learning about your healthy relationship with your corporate boyfriend or whatever. Like, yeah, I was with some stoner guys learning the truth about nine eleven. <laughs> Stoner dudes have the deets on conspiracy theories. And they all have a favorite, too. You know, some really common ones are like, the lunar landing was a hoax, like the mob killed JFK. My personal favorite, girls are trying to change me, man. <laughs> I guess as a feminist, it bothers me a little bit, because it's like, excuse me, women are trying to change you. <laughs> I, the one I don't like the most is uh, the ancient aliens conspiracy theory. Like, this one guy would always get super high, and he'd be like, all right, Kate, all right. If you don't think that ancient aliens built the Mayan pyramids, then what other possible explanation could there even be for the Mayan pyramids, huh? And I'm just like, you know, Mayans, man. <laughs> I think it was really hard for him to get his head around the fact that if a person just, like, puts down the joint 
and gets off the couch, <laughs> the human beings can do some really neat stuff. <laughs> Build a pyramid, keep their barista job. <laughs> Whoa. But I've noticed that there's also kind of a sexist or racist undertone to a lot of conspiracy theories, like that ancient aliens thing, for example. If you're like, ancient aliens built the Mayan pyramids, man, like the undertone of that is, I don't know, I just don't think the Mexican people could have done this. <laughs> Seems very suspicious. If it wasn't white people, then, ooh, aliens. <laughs> Or like the Illuminati, like it's only dudes that are talking about the Illuminati forever. The idea that there could be some group of people other than me controlling the world is not mind-blowing. <laughs> like if somebody's like, Kate, do you know that the whole world is controlled by a small group of rich and powerful men? I'm like, yeah, Duh. I feel like conspiracy theories are what stoner white guys use to explain why all their privilege is not working out for them. It's like not a conspiracy, dude. It's just weed, you know? I talk about feminism a lot. And sometimes I'm like, oh, am I talking about feminism too much? Like, should I just let this guy eat a sandwich, you know? And I always choose feminism for the most part. Like, that alien guy loves to debate me. He's always like, Kate, you know what? Like, I don't even think the stuff you talk about is real. I don't think that male privilege is real. You know how I know that male privilege is not real? I'm like, how's that? He's like, because you're doing better than me. So that proves that male privilege is not real. I know. And then I'm just like, dude, like, that's not what it proves. Like, male privilege is definitely real. So what's actually going on is that I'm doing way better than you. <laughs> that's the real situation. Kate Willett from her debut album, Glass Gutter. If you live in New York, she plays clubs there pretty regularly. We'll have a link to her website on the Bullseye page at MaximumFun.org. Next up, the great Josh Gondelman, a very, very funny man, not just on Twitter, although also on Twitter. He did create the Twitter handle at Modern Seinfeld, you might remember from a few years ago, and, and he is pretty miraculous there on his own account, at Josh Gondelman. But... He's also an award-winning stand-up comedian and writer. He's got an Emmy and a Peabody for his work as a writer on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Maybe you've seen his writing in McSweeney's or New York Magazine, The New Yorker. Josh got married recently, and, of course, that's worked his way into his act. He was kind enough to be the MC at the stand-up showcase at this year's Max FunCon East. And, I mean, he just... He just mowed down the audience with love and joy and laughter. Um, here's a little wedding story that he told. It's the story of the second best moment of my wedding. Uh, the best moment is not a good story. It was just like a quiet interaction that my wife and I shared where we, we kind of, after the ceremony, had a moment just together away from everyone else, and we leaned in and we whispered to each other our social security numbers. It was just very, <laughs> like, traditional Jewish wedding. Um, <laughs> break a glass, you whisper the social security number. Look, I am muzzle tub. Um, but it was, uh, the second best moment was a, an interaction the two of us shared with the Michael Jackson impersonator. And 
And I can feel it in this room. There are a few people that are like, why doesn't every wedding have a Michael Jackson impersonator? And you guys would be absolutely right to ask that question. Your wedding's not optimal. Uh, I didn't set out to have one. It just like, it happened. It was serendipity. What happened was we hired a DJ and we met with him to talk about playlist, um, you know, who's making speeches, what the order of the ceremony was going to be like, you know, classic DJ meeting. And at the end of it, he said, you know, in addition to my DJ services, I also do Michael Jackson. Would you like me to do that at your wedding? And I said, I don't know what that means. But I definitely want it to happen at the wedding. Because whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. I don't know whether you're going to hang a baby over a balcony or turn a backyard into an amusement park. But whatever it is, unless it's the one thing, it's going to be incredible. So... We agree to this, and we tell no one. <laughs> we keep it our secret. This is gonna be our gift to the guests. They bring us a toaster, we send them home with a story that they'll never forget. And it was even better than I could have expected, because midway through the reception, the DJ comes out from behind his table, and he is wearing a red pleather jacket and a silver rhinestone glove, and nobody expects it. <laughs> And he says, ladies and gentlemen, I have a surprise for the bride and the groom. So everyone thinks we also don't know what's happening. <laughs> he goes, I told them about this like a month ago, but I'm pretty sure they've forgotten. I was like, does this guy think that I forgot? <laughs> Him telling me he was going to impersonate Michael Jackson at my wedding. The single most memorable sentence anyone has ever spoken to me, including I do on that list. <laughs> So he comes out and he says, hit it. And he stationed my friend Will behind the DJ table, which I think entitles me to a slight rebate on his DJ services. But that's neither here nor there. He says, hit it. Will hits it. Billie Jean comes on, full force, which is a great song, but not for a wedding. It's kind of an audio paternity test, if you know it. But it doesn't matter, because he's wonderful. He's got the hands, he's got the feet, he's crushing it, he's got all the moves. And the audience is lukewarm at best, I will say. that. I have to be honest, I will say. Part of it was his fault. Like, he didn't look a lot like Michael Jackson. Like, he was black, which didn't help. And... Because it was an audience of old Jews, they're picturing new Mike, not Mike Classic, right? It's, it's just not the Michael Jackson crowd. If he'd thrown on a fake goatee, black leather jacket, and done Billy Joel, my mother would have thrown her underpants at him, my dad would have had a heart attack, ack, 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 ack. Would have been wonderful. But it was not to be. So he's crushing it. And this is the moment. He dances over to me and my wife, and he had placed two plastic Party City fedoras, one on each of our heads. And he takes the hat off my head and he whispers into my ear. He puts the hat back, he whispers one more sentence and dances away. And everybody's watching because it's our wedding and we're face to face with a man dressed as and dancing like Michael Jackson. Just as my wife had imagined her special day would be <laughs> since childhood. <laughs> so everybody comes up to me after the, the, the song ends and everybody's asking the same question, what did he say? Was it wisdom? Was it advice? Was it like kind of a quiet verbal Michael Jackson impression that he wasn't ready for the big stage yet? Just like kind of a quiet, like, like whatever it was. What was it? And this is what he said to me. 
I swear this is exactly what happened. He takes the hat off my head. He whispers into my ear, the hat lights up. (laughs) He hits the button on the hat three, four, five times. The hat does not light up. (laughs) He puts the hat back on my head, whispers, the hat used to light up, and then just moonwalks across the entire room. And that was the second best moment of my wedding. This is a pretty good wedding. Josh Gondelman. Follow him on Twitter, at Josh Gondelman, where not only will you find his hilarious jokes, but periodically he just... This is real. He just volunteers to dedicate 20 or 30 minutes of his day to giving people pep talks. And his Twitter pep talks are just the best. Uh, He was also recently on uh, my comedy show, Jordan, Jesse, Go. You can hear him there. Uh, We talked about the weird Airbnb he was staying in and also Star Wars. It's the Bullseye End of Year stand-up special. I'm Jesse Thorne. Roy Wood Jr. is a regular correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Some of his best coverage on The Daily Show this year included topics like Confederate statues, protests in the NFL, and a really funny profile on a socially conscious subscription box startup. Here he is on his 2017 debut album, Father Figure. They try to divide us on television, you know. But it's a lot of people that aren't black they're standing on the right side of issues that affect us. I appreciate those folks, you know. They don't get highlighted enough. There's plenty of people out there that care about black stuff. I haven't seen them, man. I went, to, I went to a black history museum. I had a white tour guide. It threw me off for a second. I turned to the brother that was on the tour with me. I'm like, is is this the dude? He gonna do it? It was a white dude. It was a white dude telling me about my And he was good. I was trying to hate on him. By the end of the tour, I was like, yo, bro, you did your thing, man. Straight up, fam. You gotta respect a white person working at a black history museum. You gotta respect that. That was a choice. He white. He could work anywhere. He chose a black history museum. You know that job interview was a son of a <laughs> How many extra questions did he have to answer? Because you black and old, it ain't to work at a civil rights museum. You just walk in. Uh, that's me on the picture. <laughs> you filling out paperwork for you on the wall. But if you white, you know, they're grilling that dude. Asking him all kinds of questions. They had nothing to do with black history. All in that dude's face. Paperwork looks good. Everything checks out real quick. Uh, at what temperature do you deep fry catfish? Mm-hmm. 350? That's what, okay. That's what, <laughs> I know some folks got a problem with that. You don't want a white person at a black history museum. I understand that. Here's the thing. I'm not saying they're better than a black tour guide. I think a black tour guide at a civil rights museum, I think they're better equipped 
to speak on the experience because they might have lived that life. They can speak to certain exhibits from a perspective that nobody else can. I just think if you go to a black history museum and you got a black tour guide, you need to go in the morning while he's still in a good mood. (laughs) That brother is stressed. You can't walk around slavery all day for eight hours and not cuss at somebody. Somebody getting cussed. You got to catch him at 9 a.m. He just finished at McGriddle. How y'all doing? My name is Charles. It's my pleasure to take you on this journey. Look at these exhibits right here. Black history is American history. Come look at the exhibits. You think that brother going to be in a good mood at 430? He been staring at slavery? That dude liable to cuss out everybody. Look at this. Come look what you've done to us. Look what you've done to us. Look what you get your ass out my museum, mother. You go to the gift shop, it's just people crying. That's horrible. That's scary. Roy Wood Jr. Very funny man. Catch his segments on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. His debut album, Father Figure, is out now. And if you want to see him live, check out his website. RoyWoodJr.com. Next up, our old pal Jackie Cation. Jackie is a veteran stand-up comedian. She's been on network TV. She's had her own Comedy Central special. She's the host of the extraordinarily long-running podcast, The Dork Forest. Seriously, since 2005, she has been talking to people about what they are a dork about. This year, she put out her fourth stand-up album. It's called I Am Not the Hero of This Story. It's really great. She talks a lot about her family, including the time her dad came super close to death. But my dad did almost die a couple of years ago. Hey, spoiler alert, he does not die. He is alive. Uh, so uh, here's the thing. But he had, he's 76 years old. He had to have the heart surgery that you get when you're, when you're a million years old and have been smoking for 40 years. And uh, so they go in, they clean out his heart, they close him up, they've, uh, they've done it wrong. So they have to open him up again, and then they close him up, and they've left something inside of him. They have to open him up a third time, and uh, he does not die any of those times. But he keeps thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a dead person. And my brother, who lives in Milwaukee, is like, he's being such a wuss about it. I was like, no. No, he gets this one. He gets this one. But my brother, who lives in Milwaukee, his wife is a doctor. And she is uh, not a people doctor. And in many ways, not a people person. She likes me, so I like her back. But she is uh, so much of a people. Anyway, so uh, every time he'd go under the knife, she would send a mass text message to my, me and my five siblings. Hey, they don't think he's going to make it. And uh, so I started calling her the angel of death. So he has the first surgery. I fly back to Milwaukee. I drive to the, to the VA. On the way to the VA, I get a text message from him, uh, from the angel of death. And it says, he's going under for a second surgery. They don't think he's going to make it. So I get to the hospital and I talk to the nurse and I was like, what the heck? And she goes, yeah, you know, we could have waited. We could have waited. He knew you were coming from the airport. And I said, he didn't wait? And she goes, no, we asked him. We said, do you want to wait? And he goes, now nah, let's just do it. And, uh, and I said, well, did he have any last words or anything? And she goes, yeah, he said, uh, tell, her, tell her to do whatever she wants. And I was like, those are the greatest last words ever. He should use those again. And, uh, and I said, do you think he meant that in general or just today? And she goes, and she is also from Wisconsin and in the 21st century. So she said, 
Well, if he lives, you should ask him. And I did. I did ask him. It was after his surgery, and he was all junked up on morphine or whatever. And I was like, hey, Dad, you said do whatever I want. Did you mean that in general or just that day? And he said, oh, in general, you should always do whatever you want. And I said, I suppose if it doesn't hurt anybody. And he goes, no, no, even if it hurts people. <laughs> I was like, shh, that's, a, that's an inside-your-head voice, pup. And uh, so I fly away, and I am on... <laughs> I'm on a flight and I land here in Minneapolis, check my phone, very exciting, and uh, so I check my phone and I've gotten a, a third, another message from the angel of death and it says, hey, is he going in for a third surgery? He's getting uh, the last rites. And so I call my sister, not my sister-in-law, didn't want to talk to her that day. And uh, so I call my sister and I was like, is dad going to die? And she said, they don't know, they don't know, I don't know, maybe. And I said, well, I could be there in five hours. I could rent a car and be there in five hours. And she goes, yeah, you'll miss it. <laughs> He'll either live or die. He'd want you to work. And so I went to North Carolina and told jokes instead. And he did. He lived. He lived. At that same time, my brother, who lives in Milwaukee, uh, got that text message. He was in a meeting with two lawyers for the Koch brothers, right? They're obviously working on an elixir made of the poor. And, uh... <laughs> but he's sitting there in this meeting... And he gets the same text message I got, and uh, he's looking at it, and one of the lawyers says, is everything okay? And my brother goes, oh, my dad's getting the last rights. And the lawyer goes, oh, do you want to reschedule? And my brother goes, no, nah, let's just do it. <laughs> and the lawyer says, that's a little cold. Lawyer for the Koch brothers called my brother a little cold. Jackie Cation, from her album, I Am Not the Hero of This Story. She'll be opening up for one of our favorites, Maria Bamford, in January. Make sure to check out her podcast, The Dork Forest, too. Find it at dorkforest.com. More of the Bullseye end-of-year stand-up special still to come. When we come back from a quick break, Shane Torres, Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher, Dave Anthony, and much more. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Economic Development Authority of Fairfax County, Virginia. Here's President and CEO Jerry Gordon discussing growth in the county's cyber industry. The cybersecurity industry in Fairfax County is growing by leaps and bounds. We have 350 companies working in cybersecurity alone in Fairfax County and about 9,000 other companies that are working in various forms of technology as well. More information at fairfaxcountyeda.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're doing something a little different this week. We've picked out some of the best stand-up comedy of 2017, and we're sharing everything we can fit into an episode this week. Up next, Shane Torres. Shane's been doing stand-up comedy for a decade now. It looks like he's just beginning to break through. You might have seen him when he was a contestant on Last Comic Standing, or maybe even performing on IFC's Comedy Bang Bang, Earlier this year, he was featured on Comedy Central Presents, and his debut stand-up album, Established 1981, dropped this past September. If there's a guiding principle in Shane Torres' comedy, it's the idea that you have to stand up for the little guy, even when the little guy is little Guy Fieri. This may be somewhat of a controversial opinion, but can someone please explain to me what the... 
Guy Fieri ever did to anyone? Because people shit on that dude all the time. And as far as I can tell, all he ever did was follow his dreams. It's insane how rude people are to this celebrity chef. They make memes and they tweet nasty and they have terrible blogs, and he didn't do anything wrong. Here's what he did do, liberal Madison. He started a company where he hires everybody. He pays more than minimum wage. He gives health benefits before he has to. He has a nonprofit where he gives pretzel making machines to inner city schools so they can fundraise. I know that one sounds like I made it up, but I swear to Christ it's true. <laughs> He has worked with Special Olympics athletes, and on top of all of that, he has officiated a gay wedding. But because he has flames on his shirt, everybody's all over him like he's a member of Nickelback. And by the way, what did Nickelback ever do? And look, I get it. I don't want to hang out with him either, okay? I know he looks like a hot topic manager moonlighting at a Friday's. Just one end of the mall to the other. But he didn't do anything wrong. That should bother all of you. Not enough? What else has he done? I'm so glad you asked! He goes around the country to small businesses and gives them free advertising on a national platform. Advertising they could surely never afford themselves with his own television show. But because his hair looks like he was electrocuted while drinking Mountain Dew. People act like we need to saw his head off on the internet. Meanwhile, everybody loves Anthony Bourdain. And he seems like the kind of person that would be mean to dogs. So I... Don't understand what is happening! What does he do? It's like, oh, I put on Rolling Stones t-shirts and tell food carts they suck. Go f*** yourself. What are you bringing to the table? Ugh, madness. If you had to choose between being stuck in a foxhole with Anthony Bourdain or Guy Fieri. I am still doing this bit. You're gonna go Fieri every time. What's Bourdain gonna do? I'll tell you. Gonna be like that dude in every World War II movie who sucks the whole time. Then when the Nazis show up, doesn't do his job, gets a bunch of good soldiers killed. Meanwhile, Guy Fieri's over here earning new nicknames like El Fuego. Picking up live grenades, throwing them back, saying dope like Welcome to Flavortown. And he knows he's dying on that beach in France that morning, but he's there fighting. And what do you guys do? You it all over him just because he had his sunglasses on the back of his neck. I think it's awesome there's a racing stripe on his fridge. Love it if Banksy had painted it, wouldn't you? Ugh. 
Also, lay off Carrot Top. I met him. He's nice. Shane Torres from his debut stand-up comedy album, Established 1981. Check out his tour dates at shaneisacomedian.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. So Mike Kaplan keeps busy. Since 2010, when he was a finalist on Last Comic Standing, he has put out almost an album a year. He's also done Letterman, The Tonight Show, Conan, tons of other shows. And also, this is important. When he was going to Boston University, he was named Funniest Student. So that's a pretty impressive accolade. Mike's newest album is called No Kidding. It's a lot of fun. Here's a little bit of it. If you know you want kids, have them. If you know you don't, don't have them. If you're not sure, here is, uh, I think, a foolproof way to decide whether you should have kids. It's going to sound simple, but listen to the whole thing. You take a coin. You flip the coin. You catch the coin. You keep the coin. You don't have kids. That's all you do. You keep all the money forever. If you don't know, don't do it. Kids are expensive. Do you know how much? Quarter million to a half million dollars in this country right now. Depends how much you feed and clothe and love them. You can have a kid, a couple kids, or you can have a million dollars. And if you have your kids, you love them. You wouldn't trade them for a million dollars. You're not allowed to. You're just proud of them. You're getting them bigger and stronger. Every year, they're bigger. You mark off on the wall. You're proud. You're like, they're this tall. They're this tall. They're this tall. I'll do that in my life as well, but with stacks of money instead. So everybody gets something. I think that having kids is like doing drugs because it's not for everybody. You got to be in the right mindset. It costs a lot of money. There's peer pressure involved, and it could ruin your life. Like, those are some of the possibilities. Like, I haven't had kids, but I've done drugs, and I recommend drugs to more people than I recommend kids to, 100% across the board. And then we've all seen people with kids, whether you have kids or not, we've all seen people with kids, and thought, you should have done drugs instead. That would have been better for everybody. Never seen a person on drugs and thought kids would be the answer here. Sometimes a woman is having a child come out of her body. She says, bring me drugs to help me have this child. They bring them because they help Nobody's ever doing drugs like, bring me a child to help me do these drugs. It doesn't go both ways. Adding drugs helps, adding kids doesn't. Some people say, don't do drugs. But they haven't done all the drugs, or they'd be dead. If you say, don't do drugs, you probably have done maybe one drug. That'd be like saying, don't eat foods. If you only tried one food. Like, I had baby corn, turns out food's no good. You know what I mean? It's not a complete sample size. I tried sweet pickles. Turns out we're going to not enjoy eating. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. Whatever food you don't like, put it in there. You can't judge a whole category based on one element of the category. You can't watch one Nicolas Cage movie and then decide every movie must be amazing. Right? You can't do that. That guy has made a number of enjoyable movies. Do you know how he did it? He made a much higher number of total movies. If you have a million monkeys working on a million typewriters, they are going to come up with Con Air and Face Off before they get to Shakespeare. That's 100%. Check their discard pile, you guys. Mike Kaplan. His album, No Kidding, is out now. He's on tour. If you'd like to see him live, check out his website, MikeKaplan.com. Mike is spelled M-Y-Q. Kaplan is spelled Kaplan. 
You're listening to the Bullseye End of Year Comedy Special. Now, as far as we know, this next comedy album we're about to feature is the only one that was produced in 2017 by a married couple. It's called Back to Back. It's by our pals Rhea Butcher and Cameron Esposito. Cameron and Rhea are old, great friends of the show. They hosted the excellent and dearly departed Wham Bam Pow podcast here at Maximum Fun. They also created and starred in Take My Wife, a really beautiful, hilarious sitcom based on their real life, which ran on the short-lived streaming network CISO. If you can find a way to watch it, it is really funny and really lovely as well. Anyway, here's a little bit from Cameron and Rhea's first ever split stand-up record, Back to Back. I have learned a lot about you traveling together. Is yeah. there anything that, that you've learned traveling with me? Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot of things. Uh, number one, you like to brush your teeth no less than ten times a day. That's one of them. That's, that's up there. That's, that's normal. Just constantly. <laughs> no, that's normal. What do you want your teeth to have any sort of... Like, do you, you don't want to brush your teeth nearly out of your face? <laughs> no. I like to keep my teeth in my face. Forget it. That's where I like to keep them. But uh-huh. I also learned this about you. Um, that you do not like bugs at all. I hate bugs. Which is always a shock to me because of this sort of Terminator 2 exterior that you have going on. <laughs> Tropical Safari Terminator 2. <laughs> Rhea, you know I don't own a motorcycle. This is fake. I know this is fake. You have been to my house. Yes, I have been to your home. This is a front, you know, yeah. and this is a back. Oh, boy. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, no, I don't own a motorcycle. I'm not, like, tough. I'm super scared of bugs. Bugs are tiny. You can't look them in the eye. They're what? unpredictable. What? They have weird arms and legs going all over the place. Oh, come on. They want to come at you. Yeah, all you got to do... Okay, bugs are around. This is all you got to do. Whoa. That's it. <laughs> That's all you got to do. You are going to stand here on this stage Whoa. and lie to all of these people <laughs> at this moment in history? <laughs> You know, when it's so, when you, we feel so lied to on a daily basis, you're going to try to tell these people that you can discern a bug's flight plan? Yeah. <laughs> you can't. They go all over the place. They're trying to get all over the place. They're trying to get, they're trying to come at you uh-huh. and get in your holes. <laughs> what? They are not trying to get in your holes. They are absolutely trying to get in your holes. Bugs do not want to be in your holes. Bugs want to get in your holes, absolutely. Oh my goodness. They want to get in your holes, they want to wear your body around like a puppet. Oh. That is absolutely what bugs want to do. What, have you never seen Men in Black? Yeah, I've seen the non-fiction film, Men in Black. The yes, documentary, the it. documentary about space. It's by Carl about Sagan, About the space right? program. Yeah. Men in Black, about the space program. Right. Yeah, I've seen that one. I forgot yeah. about that. So, of course I'm scared of bugs. But you, you can make eye contact with bugs. What? Who? Well, we want... <laughs> we had a praying mantis once in an Airbnb that we rented. Oh, that's true. And it scared Cameron so much that she jumped into the ceiling fan. <laughs> I'm 5'4", so that was a, a lot of vertical yeah. action. Huge vertical leap. Boom! She hit the ceiling fan, then ran outside where there were definitely more bugs. <laughs> but... Those bugs were not going to be a mantis. And a mantis is an awful kind of bug because it's so big, you can't even kill it. You kill that bug, you just have like a giant body left behind. What, what are you supposed to do? Roll it up in a rug, take it out to the curb? Sister mantis, you say to your neighbors. No. Sister mantis. No, all you do is you get close to it, you make eye contact with it, and then you start doing Tai Chi with it. No. 
No, you don't do that. You don't do that because if you're a regular person, you don't trust bugs that have visible elbows. <laughs> Horrifying, disgusting. This, this person over here, Rhea Butcher, she tricked me. What a trick. She took me, knowing full well that I don't want to be around bugs, she took me to, you guessed it, camping. What an ass. I forgot I needed to tell her that camping would be outdoors. I thought so it would be partially me. outdoors. I like being outside. I just like to also go inside. That's how I like to go outside. You go, oh, here I am. Oh, I can go in here. But the thing about camping, there's, it's all outside. Yeah, yeah that's Even a tent. Camping. That's a fake joke. <laughs> there's the floor is the earth. You look at it, you go, oh, look. A shelter. It's not a shelter. It's a flimsy windbreaker. Yeah. Silly. I mean, it's just like a full body fanny pack. You are correct a about that. It is a I don't want to get in there. I like my tent to have a foundation, walls made of brick, and a roof. I think that's a house. I would like a house. <laughs> but you did figure out a good workaround when we were camping. Oh, yeah, I did. Because uh-huh. I'm smarty and with a smart brain. What I did was... Because we were camping with a bunch of friends. Sure. I didn't want to look like a loser who's mm-hmm. missing out on the party because of bug fear. So I got in the tent to protect my holes. I put my head in and my body to here. Then I zipped the tent here and I, my, my shins and feet stuck out of the tent yeah. so that I was still at the party. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you really just ended up looking like a Halloween decoration. It's those two little witch legs hanging out of your trunk. Okay, sure. Did it look like a house had fallen on me and I was an Oz? Perhaps. <laughs> sure. But it got the trick done. Yeah. The trick. So wait, it got the trick done. Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher, everyone. Their album Back to Back is out now. Go give it a listen. If you live here in L.A., you can also see Rhea live every Tuesday at the UCB Theater on Franklin. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up, comedian... Dave Anthony. I don't think I'm being unfair to Dave when I say this, but I think he doesn't really identify as a nice guy. Uh, in IFC's Marin, he plays Mark Marin's mean, kind of nihilistic best friend Dave. It's part of his stand-up act, too. In his latest comedy album, Hothead, he explores his childhood and how that made him the guy he is today. What it, what it boils down to is his broken relationship with his alcoholic father, which he talks about a lot. In this story from the album, he's talking about being a little kid and dealing with all that stuff. And teachers come up with the perfect formula to fix him. A mime class, as in literally a class where a child goes to learn to be a mime. So I go to this mime class, and uh, I'm just assuming that everyone else is going to be like me, not wanting to be a mime, just trying to get out of school, but they all wanted to be mimes. And I was like, what is happening right now? Like, who wants to be a mime? Does anybody, like, there's to be, like, a famous person that you like. Like, when you're a kid, like, you see a ball player, you want to you wanna be that guy, or, or you want to be in a band. But there's no famous mimes. Who's your favorite mime? He, he's dead! There's no famous mimes. No one's like, did you see that mime on The Tonight Show last night? Holy shit, was he trapped in a box. That was amazing. So... 
I go to the mime class, and I am the kid who doesn't want to be a mime. And so I'm also a so I just don't play along. You know, they're like, okay, everybody, you're trapped in a box. I'm like, okay. And they're like, no, go ahead and put your hands up. I'm like, why? If I, I'm in a box, you told me. How about you let me out of the box? How about we play that game? And then uh, we would also have to play fake catch with fake balls. And the other kids would throw a ball at me, and I'd be like, I don't see it. I don't see the ball. One kid actually came over and picked up the fake ball and brought it back, and I was like, it's a fake ball. You can just have another one. So I didn't, uh, I didn't go back to the class. I was like, screw this, and I just sat and waited for my dad to come pick me up for a couple hours, uh, just sitting around the corner, just a mime. People driving by like, that's a mime. <laughs> so uh, by the time he picked me up, I had totally forgotten I had makeup on. And uh, I had a baseball game right afterwards. And what? Do you see something coming? Uh, so we're, it's, it's, we're going to be late to the game, so I'm changing in the back seat. And this is when a normal parent uh, would be like, uh, hey, do you want to take the mime makeup off? Because you're going to play baseball. Because I don't know if you guys know this, not a lot of mimes in sports. If you guys are watching an AFL game, there's not a guy in the middle, like, in white, like, fake catching the ball. Uh, yeah. So he didn't do that. He was like, all right, let's go, let's go play ball. So I, I got to the game, and, and the game had already started, so I ran in and, like, went right up to bat. And baseball is a game that kind of, it's known as policing itself. And if, if pe- players don't like what's happening, they just hit you with a pitch. And so the first at bat, the guy just hits me with the pitch, and I was like, ow! And he was like, ah, the mime's talking. And I was like, oh, God. I have mime makeup on. And so, uh, so then the, the kids just started all picking on me and saying stuff to me. And uh, now this is when a normal parent would pull his kid aside because he sees he's getting picked on and go, hey, look, do you want to take the mime makeup off and then come back and keep playing and show them what you're made of, get some hits? Or do you want to just go home? We can go home if that's what you want to do. Or you can just... Keep miming. But he didn't do any of those because uh, alcoholics tend to make it about themselves. And when they're freaked out about something, they don't protect those ones they should. And so he looks at the other coach and he's like, quit picking on my mime. And, and the other coach is like, why the f- do you have a mime? And then, and, then they, and then they started fighting. But they didn't fight. They, they ran at each other. And I remember I was standing right behind the plate with a bat, and uh, they ran at each other, and they had big beer bellies, and they were like, ooh, and they just started bumping beer bellies together, like, like they were like sea lions, like, ooh, and I was like, I'm going to go wait in the car, uh, and then my dad was the assistant coach, so he just kept coaching, and then a couple hours later, he's like, you should have you stuck around, that was a great game, I was like, I'm a mime, dude, I'm a mime. Dave Anthony from his 2017 album, Hothead. For tour dates and more, check out Dave's website, DaveAnthonyComedy.com. You can also catch him on his extremely popular history podcast, The Dollop, which he co-hosts with comedian Gareth Reynolds. Or you can catch him on Twitter, talking with me about the San Francisco Giants. Go Giants. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up on our comedy special, David Borey. 
He was born in Seattle, raised in Colorado, lives here in Los Angeles now. In 2016, he made his TV debut on Conan. And even though he literally missed the mark, I mean, he stood in the wrong place. He missed his mark on the floor. Uh, They got killed. This past June, he came along with us to the mountains of Southern California for Max FunCon. And he was absolutely for real, one of the funniest guys on stage that night. He just destroyed. From a wooded outdoor amphitheater thousands of feet above the valley floor, here's David Borey. I just turned 30. I don't know if that's how I feel about it. I, I just, it was weird because right before I turned 30, it was like this mad dash to fix my life. I was like, we'll just clean it up in six weeks, it'll be fine. It's like your 20s never happened. And it was hard. Like, I did, the, the main thing I did before I turned 30 was I was like, David, you have to get your finances in order, right? That's an important thing and then i thought well you have to have a comma for it to be finances i (laughs) i just gotta move some money around uh so i was like yeah let's get that let's get that together i mean you feel good so what i did was i put my money in a black bank y'all can relate uh (laughs) i put my money in a black bank i was so proud of myself I was 10 feet tall. I called my mom. I said, I'm back in black now. She said, what the f*** are you talking about? I said, don't worry. It's important. Because the thing is, I like Black Bank. Uh, What I don't like is Black Bank propaganda. I'm not into it. It's very aggressive. Uh, The day I signed up for Black Bank, I got an email, and it was all caps, and it was like, welcome to the revolution, brother. I was like, whoa, Black Bank, you're mixing me up. I'm not that guy. I was not. And they kept sending me aggressive emails. A couple weeks later, I got one, and it was like, next time you get on social media, use these hashtags, unity, strength, first united bank. (laughs) And I was like, once again, Black Bank, I'm not. This is not that guy. And then it came to a head last week, I finally, because I hadn't been responding. And last week, I finally got an email, all caps again, and it just said, we got beef gun emoji. <laughs> this is fine, I appreciate it. Free market and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> it's weird, though, because, yeah, I did, that was before I turned 30, and then I did... Th- turned 30 and I've just I felt myself opening up and it's really exciting I feel like I could be a new person in my 30s like my first example of this was uh, my interior song changed (laughs) you know the song that you play when you're doing it changed on me after 30 I remember distinctly because before when I was like from like 20 to 30 my interior song was this song uh, Annie Up by the group (laughs) M.O.P. Thank you. And for those of you who don't know, all you need to know is that they say, kidnap that fool in the chorus. <laughs> it's, and that was my So I played it in my headphones. I paid bills to it. I rode the bus to it. That was what I did. I was an Annie Up guy. And then the other day, I was, 
I was laying in bed. I woke up with my clothes on. Because whatever. <laughs> I woke up with my clothes on, and I had, I had beer on my body. Because I had taken one to sleep for comfort. Uh, so I wake up, I'm mad sticky, and I get a text message from my friend. And he's like, do you want to go to the movies? And that's usually where Annie Up would have been playing. And I would have, like, kicked in the door to the shower and been like, let's do it! But in my 30s, it's a much softer, gentler time. And I saw the text message and just, apropos of nothing, in my head, I just started singing. And I don't want the world to see me. Cause I don't think that they'd understand. It happens just like that. Because if you'd have told me when I was 20, in 10 years from now, you're going to be a Goo Goo Dolls-ass person, I would have punched you in the face. David Borey, performing live at Max FunCon in Lake Arrowhead, California. He's playing live pretty much all the time right now. You can follow him at, at the G is silent. His last name is G-B-O-R-I-E, pronounced Bori. Get it? Anyway, if you're interested in going to Max FunCon in 2018, tickets are on sale now. Go to MaxFunCon.com. More of our best comedy of the year special after a quick break on Bullseye. Still to come, Cristela Alonso, Chris Gethard, and a whole bunch more. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, podcast listeners, Jesse again. We're headed into a new year. We're looking back on the last year or so and how they've changed us. Public radio helps you see things in a new light. It takes you places. It introduces you to fascinating people. We know this podcast is an hour or so of your week, but so often we hear about how the information that you learn on the show or learn on other NPR shows stays with you after you finish up. If listening to this show changed the way you see the world, if Bullseye has helped you grow as a creator or a consumer of creative work, help us continue the conversation. Support your local station today. Tell us how the conversations and reporting that you heard here helped you grow this year. Visit donate.npr.org bullseye to give, and then share your story with hashtag WhyPublicRadio. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're in the middle of a proud Bullseye tradition, playing the best stand-up records of the last year. Up next, Joel Kim Booster. Joel was born in South Korea. At a young age, he was adopted, and he moved to the suburbs of Chicago. You might have seen him on Conan or The Meltdown with Jonah and Kumail. He also wrote on Billy on the Street, which is one of my favorite shows. But we're not just listing credits here. His first ever stand-up comedy record... Model Minority was easily one of my favorites this year. Let's listen to a bit from it. Joel Kim Booster. Yeah, lots of questions when you're an Asian person. There is one question that I got growing up, and now even as an adult, it's more than the where are you from or what kind are you. I get it all the time, and it's always, they think it's like such a funny joke. People will always ask me do you eat dog? Uh, <laughs> and it's always said as a joke, as though they're breaking new ground, as though they're f- 
Jerry Seinfeld, you know? Like, they're like, I bet he's never heard this one before. Do you eat dog? And, you know, as a child, it used to really upset me. It used to, like, make me so mad because I get why they're asking the question. But now, as an adult, I am just sort of like, yeah, I, of course I'd eat a f dog, you know? Like, a dog that's a stranger to me? Why not, you know? Um, I eat all the other animals because I don't know them. You know, like, it, it's just... It is great. Do I have dog owners in the audience tonight? Make some noise if you own dogs. You own a dog? I used to. You used to. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, who, wait, who else said they own dogs? Here. Here, okay. We do have a dog owner. Here's the thing. I would eat your dog, sight unseen. You know? Uh, no, without meeting it, I just wanted you to know I would eat your dog. Um, and it's just, it's just because I don't know it, you know? Um, and it's crazy. Like, Peter right now has all these ads up in New York that just have a spectrum of animals, you know? And it's got a pig on one side and a dog on the other. And it's like, why would you eat that pig? But you won't eat that dog. And it's because I don't know that pig, okay? <laughs> I've never met the pig. Maybe things would change if I knew the pig, you know? I think that's the message of Charlotte's Web, is that you can eat any old pig you want as long as it doesn't have an inner life, you know? And that... <laughs> is when things really change, you know? I think the secondary message of Charlotte's Web is that a spider's life is worth less than a pig's, you know? Um, they really throw her under the bus by the end. Of the I think, I truly, I do think that, like, if they started doing with hamburger patties what they do with cigarette packs in Europe, you know how they have, like, the blackened lungs on these cigarette packs, and they just, if they just with the, the, the hamburger patties would print, like, facts about the cows, it would be all over for me, you know? If I picked up a hamburger patty and it was like, this was Daisy, and she also thought that Sandra Bullock deserved her Oscar for the blind side, you know? And it's like, I relate to this cow! now we both appreciate Sandra Bullock for what she is an American treasure it just all changed for me what is your dog's name Fiona Fiona I can't eat a Fiona you know like that it's all over for me what is Fiona's last name um Lewis Lewis uh where did she get that last name from my family <laughs> so you just think your dog has the same last name as you <laughs> That's so small-minded. Uh, wow. Um, that's, just, that's really shocking to me. Um, how long have you had, Fiona? Um, like 12 to 14. Okay, wow. And you've never had a conversation with her. Um, that's crazy. So I guess like next time you see Fiona, ask about her for once. You know, that would be helpful. Maybe learn a little bit about Fiona. Um, I'll take the microphone back. Thank you. Um, Ridiculous. Truly ridiculous. I guess my thing is that I just don't, I don't really, um, I'm not passionate about animals. You might have sensed that about me. Uh, I do, I like animals. They're fine. I just, I find a lot of them super annoying. Like, I think bees are high strung, you know? Uh, every single morning a bee wakes up and is like, if that person even looks at me wrong, I will kill myself. You know? uh, it's like, take it down, you know? Um, and I swear to God, if one of you nerds tells me a bee is not an animal, I will kill myself, you know? I've heard it, and I won't listen. I won't do it. I won't do it. Like, I really need people to stop sharing these videos of crows on Facebook that have learned how to talk and can use tools. It's like, stay in your own lane, crows, okay? Like, that's sort of our thing, talking and using tools. Uh, don't need it. Like, what, uh, what do you do for work, sir? 
Yeah. I do uh, social media marketing. Social media marketing. A crow could do that tomorrow, okay? <laughs> like, my parents are worried about immigrants taking jobs. Be worried about the crows, you know? Like, they're the ones who are coming for them. I have a lot of friends in my life who really care about animals, and I had a, one friend show me this video that was supposed to put the fear of God in me about um, animal extinction. And the, anim- the, the video, it begins like, imagine the world is just a pond outside your window. And I'm like, okay, already this is a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're throwing a lot of labor onto me. Uh, but okay, I'm there. Uh, the world is just a pond outside my window. And the, mo- the, the video c- continues, and it's like, In 1970, that pond would have been full of a hundred storks. And now today, in 2017, it's full of 30 storks. And it's like, that is still so many storks. I know that's supposed to be shocking to me, but have you ever seen a stork? You know, like they're an unseemly bird. Uh, They're just like so hard to manage. And quite honestly, 30 seems like too much. Um, I wouldn't be able to do it. Like, I feel, that doesn't seem like a problem to me. It feels like someone woke up one morning, looked outside their window and was like, I gotta do something about these damn storks. This is insane. They've overrun the pond. Hi, get the guy, you know, like. Joel Kim Booster from his debut album, Model Minority. Follow him on Twitter at I Hate Joel Kim and show him some love. Our next comic, Chris Gethard. You know Chris Gethard, right? He, he had a pretty big 2017. He's, of course, the host of The Chris Gethard Show, which has been running on a handful of networks since 2009. Recently, it landed on True TV. He's been on TV shows like Broad City. He was in the movie Don't Think Twice. And also, in 2017, he starred in his own one-man show, Career Suicide. It was on HBO, and just a few months ago, it was released on vinyl. In Career Suicide, Chris tells a really honest, sincere story about how he's dealt with depression and anxiety and even thoughts of suicide. It's kind of scary at times. There are times when it's touching and it's very funny. Here's a little bit from the beginning of the record. Chris Gethard. 2001, I'm 21 years old, and I find myself driving on Valley Road in Clifton, New Jersey. Uh, For anybody who's not familiar with Clifton, New Jersey, it's a very long road. It goes from one end of this town all the way to the other. So even though it's just a regular suburban road, people do drive fast on it. And I'm driving behind this pickup truck. It's a big beat up pickup, the, the kind you'd see like a landscaping company use. And I'm listening to the Smiths, who, if you're not familiar, the Smiths are a rock and roll group. They're from Manchester, England, very popular in the early to mid 1980s. Um, even, even if you don't know the Smiths, you might know their, their front man. He still tours around a lot. His name is Morrissey. He's like a very legendarily emotional singer. I am clearly trying to rip off his haircut right now. (laughs) And I know I'm listening to The Smiths because when I'm 21 years old, all I listen to is The Smiths. Because when you're 21 years old and you're as sad as I am a lot of the time and you hear a lyric like, if you're so funny, why are you on your own tonight? I know. Because tonight it's just like any other night. And so I run your own tonight. <laughs> when you hear that, you're like, someone gets it. Someone just verbalized this thing I have always felt. There is one person in this world who understands me. It's weird that it's Morrissey, but 
take it. So I'm behind this pickup truck and the blinker turns on. The driver's gonna turn left. I don't even slow it down. I'm gonna pass him on the right. I come around him and as I do so, I realize he's done one of those like, oh, that's not the turn I'm supposed to make. He's coming back into my lane. He's coming back into the right lane and it's very clear I'm in his blind spot. He doesn't see me. And I think to myself, you should hit the brakes. And then I think, no, don't. Because this way, it's just a car crash. And this way, your parents don't have to go around town being the parents of the kid who killed himself. Because we don't judge people when they die in car crashes, but we do judge people when they die of suicide. I think it's one of the strangest things we've given ourselves permission to do. And ultimately, I think it's a branding problem. <laughs> Honestly. I do, I think suicide has a real branding problem because it has a tagline, it has its own tagline and the tagline sucks, it's very condescending. Suicide is the coward's way out. What a bad tagline. That's bad branding. A tagline's supposed to get you pumped up. Like Nike, that's a good tagline, just do it. Right? And I'm not saying that suicide should take that one. That's not, it's not at all. I, really none of the big ones apply to this. Although Burger King, have it your way, kind of does fit, oddly. Oddly enough. I'll say this too, I've never understood it. The phrase, I, I don't get what's cowardly about suicide. To me, suicide means that someone had a lot of problems and they couldn't fight through them anymore. That is a lot of things. It's not cowardly. So this truck hits me, sideswipes me, sends my little Nissan Sentra off into this driveway, which sounds like a safe place to end up, except unfortunately for me, this section of Clifton, New Jersey is built on a hill. So the driveway has a retaining wall and I hit it head on. Car comes crashing down on the front lawn of this house. And as soon as the car stops bouncing, I think to myself, oh my God, I did that. And then it's silent until I hear the sound of an aluminum front door squeaking open. It's a very familiar sound for any of us who grew up in the suburbs. And then I hear this voice that has the same exact accent as my mother, which is the same exact accent as Carmela Soprano. <laughs> this is very true. If there's any North Jersey people here tonight, you can vouch for me. A lot of people sound like Carmela Soprano where we grew up. That's very true. The Sopran I grew up in Essex County. That's where Sopranos took place. And they nailed the culture of it. And Edie Falco in particular, she earned every award she ever won. So this door squeaks open. And then I hear this Carmela Soprano go, oh my God. <laughs> and then a second door squeaks open. And I hear a second Carmela Soprano go, what's going on? And then a third door opens and a third Carmela Soprano goes, is he dead? And the second one goes, we don't know. And the first one says, we're trying to figure it out. Chris Gethard from his show, Career Suicide. If you want to hear the rest of that story, and trust me, you do, it only gets weirder, buy Career Suicide on vinyl through Don Giovanni Records. And you can check out the amazing and bizarre and wonderful Chris Gethard show on True TV. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up, Janelle James. Her first performance was about eight years ago at a biker bar in downtown Champaign, Illinois. 
When somebody asked her why she got into it, she said she had gone to one open mic before that, and her thought was, well, I'm funnier than these dudes. And, of course, Jeanette was right. Things are going pretty well for her. In a few short years, she's open for some of the best comics in the country. Hannibal Burris, Todd Barry, Rob Delaney, Chris Rock. She was on At Midnight, on Comedy Central, on Crashing, on HBO, and more. She lives in New York now, and she just moved to the suburbs with her two kids. She couldn't be happier. I've always been a city chick. That's what I always say. I'm a city girl or whatever. Then I had kids, and I moved up to the suburbs, and I hated it. I hated it. But now... I know I'm getting older because I love it now. You know what I mean? I love the suburbs. Like, I wake up, if I'm not traveling, I wake up every Sunday. I'm like, Costco. Y'all got Costco here? That's my I love going to Costco, boy. That's my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite place to be, which is crazy because I used to be a dominatrix, and now my favorite to do is go to Costco. You see how life takes you on journeys and Oh, my God, you guys. You just never know. <laughs> You just never know. Follow your dreams. <laughs> My favorite thing to do at Costco, I like to uh, pretend I've never tasted whatever samples they're giving out. It's so fun. It's so fun. It sounds simple. It's the simple things. That's why I realized when you get older, it's the simple things that make you so happy because Costco don't give out exotic. They give out like grapes. Who's never had a grape before? You know what I mean? But you get to pretend. You get to pretend. Purple grapes? I've never had purple grapes. I've had green grapes. Oh, my God. You know, oh, oh, the best time. I've stood in line for grapes. I've stood in line two, three minutes. You know what I mean? You talk to your neighbor. What are you going to do with your grapes? I love that. I love it. I love like a name, suburban chit chat. You know what I mean? You go into the barbecue. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's another thing white people have been trying to keep from black, from minorities and the suburbs, y'all been trying to hide it from us, but I'm up there and I'm eating all your grapes. Is okay? <laughs> eating all your damn grapes. It's weird because all my son's uh, friends are white. It's, 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 they have no minority friends. You got Ryan, Josh, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. <laughs> I'm learning all type of about white people up there, man. Like, white people, y'all send Christmas cards with your families on it to just, to your mailbox for no reason. Like, people, what am I supposed to do with you? I'm supposed to put that on my refrigerator? Like, people I don't even know well, I just waved across the street. Hey, I'm supposed to put your whole family, 25 just white families just supposed to decorate my Like, what kind of, that's the weirdest, that's the weirdest, I don't know you. Why do I have unbarbed your Aunts and shit on my damn wall. It's so. It's the weirdest. I feel like you just print all 5,000 and, like, yeah! <laughs> I keep fantasizing about, like, just putting them up on a cork board and, like, string between them like a damn serial killer. <laughs> Lead detective, like, what does this mean? Janelle James, from her debut album, Black and Mild. Follow her on Twitter, at Janelle J Comic. Apart from stand-up, she keeps busy as a writer. Her most recent work can be seen weekly on our pal Robin Thede's show, The Rundown, on BET. 
We're getting near the end of the Bullseye Comedy Special. This next comic is a real treat, Solomon Giorgio. He was born in Ethiopia, but he spent most of his life here on the West Coast. He lives in Los Angeles now. Recently, he's appeared on Comedy Central, where he got his first ever half-hour stand-up special. You might have also seen him on Last Call with Carson Daly or on Viceland. And take it from me, a leading menswear fashion blogger. Solomon is a gorgeous dude, A-plus handsomeness. And that has, let's say, worked its way into his act. Here's a little bit from his debut album from this past year. It's called Homo Negro Superior. Let's take a listen. My name is Solomon Giorgio. That is my real name. Uh, it is my birth name. Uh, it is a very beautiful name for obviously a very beautiful man. <laughs> my last name, Giorgio, is Italian. I am Ethiopian. And some people have asked me, Solomon, how does an African get a European last name? Well, <laughs> it's a lot like a fairy tale. Um, except in this fairy tale, there happens to be an Italian army occupation, uh, a brutal civil war, a few decades of famine, and no happy endings. So, you know, <laughs> like all fairy tales. Um, however, uh, my first name, Solomon, is a very old biblical name. It was actually given to me by my uncle, Mufasa Rigatoni. So, you know. <laughs> Gotta give it up for him. <laughs> when my family came to America, we actually first immigrated to uh, St. Louis, Missouri, because we wanted a grand tour of racism. Uh, <laughs> can you show us the factory where it's made? Thank you so much. <laughs> we lived there for a couple of years, and then we, uh, we moseyed on over to uh, Fresno, California. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who are not familiar, every part of Africa is better than Fresno, California. It is a garbage fire of a city. It is awful. And I was raised there for seven years. And here's the thing is that growing up with immigrant parents, um, there's one thing that is uh, lacking, is that they have no sense in American fashion. So my parents dressed me up in quite possibly the wackest outfits in the most dumpster city. And I, I remember one uh, specific outfit that I was dolled up in. It started off with my ALF sweatshirt. Oh, we all recall ALF from Melmac? This was five years after the show was canceled. So there's my ALF sweatshirt. It had a picture of ALF and a picture of a kitty cat. And right above it, it said, dinner time. <laughs> and it came with matching gloves. And I wore them year round because if you're gonna be tacky, you gotta coordinate. <laughs> and there were, um, there were my pants. Uh, my pants were hot pink. Just beautifully pink with a giant image of strawberry shortcake <laughs> and her furry friend on the back pocket. Now, obviously, it was immediately informed that these were girl pants. And I, I approached my father. I was like, Dad, these are girl pants. I'm totally cool with it, but I do have to go outside. 
And my father looked at me, his eldest son, and he said, Solomon, I don't give <laughs> That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> And his outfit was finished off by my L.A. gear uh, light-up shoes. Yes. Yes, because uh, those were invented um, so the mean kids can find the faggy kids at night. <laughs> they saw me every time. <laughs> but fortunately, in the mid-90s, my family did move to Seattle, Washington. And that outfit was on the cutting edge of fashion. <laughs> Till this very day. <laughs> I've been gay for quite some time. And I, uh, I, did, I came out when I was 18. And I, I told the world. I told my parents, which I don't recommend. <laughs> They're very traditional, very uptight African immigrants. So write them a letter. They can't read. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they got, they got upset. I, well, my dad was the one that got the most upset. I don't know if it was because I said I was gay or the fact that I sang the entirety of Papa Don't Preach immediately <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> it's a much longer song than you think it is. It is. <laughs> but I didn't stop. <laughs> but he got mad. He got really upset. And he actually, he, oddly enough, he said the most cliche thing you can say in that situation. My father literally said to me, his eldest son, that God hates gay people. And I was like, tight. <laughs> I'm an atheist, you guys. <laughs> Tell me God hates gay people is like telling me a ghost hates my shirt. Like, I... <laughs> But no, it's, it's just, it's weird. If I, like, if I did subscribe to a religion, a higher power, what I'm essentially being told is that God hates me, yet he made me look like a perfect angel. <laughs> Take a minute, look up and down, find a flaw. There isn't one. I've checked for 35 years. <laughs> Do you see these legs? Do you see them? You have to fire them because they don't. Quit, okay? <laughs> this thigh gap is natural. I've done nothing to earn it, okay? <laughs> I can fit everyone's secrets in here. Just go and chuck them in. I got the space. <laughs> and have you seen other gay people? Oh my God, it is tough competition out there. Just Adonis is roaming the earth. I'm obviously a straight 10, easily a gay 4. It is not. <laughs> Solomon Giorgio, from his debut stand-up comedy album, Homo Negro Superior. He's touring all over the country right now. We'll have a link to his dates up on our website. Just go to the Bullseye page at MaximumFun.org. Finally, last but not least, Cristela Alonso. She's a veteran stand-up comedian. You might remember her from the ABC sitcom Cristela. It's a trailblazing show in which she was the first Latina to create, 
produce, write, and star in her own program. When she was on Bullseye earlier this year, we talked about her formative years growing up in South Texas. Her mom was undocumented, they didn't have electricity, and they bathed from a bucket that they filled with a neighbor's hose. This past September, Cristela joined me and a bunch of other Maximum Fund listeners for a trip out to the Poconos for MaxFunCon East. Here's a little bit from her set. I don't like talking to people. I don't like talking to people more now just because I don't know what they're going to say. I was at a nail salon and this woman was like praising Trump and I'm like, oh, f- a mega b-. And And I realized I wasn't going to say anything. I didn't want to converse with the person that was doing my nails, right? And I'm like, please don't ask me a question that will start a lengthy conversation, right? She's doing my nails. She's like, oh, are you from India? Okay. I've got two choices. I can lie and say that I'm from India and hope she shuts up. Or I could be like, no, I'm Mexican, blah, 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 right? So I was like... I'm Indian. <laughs> Thinking that's it, right? Like, oh, what part of India? Uh, South Central. <laughs> What's the weather like in India? I'm like, oh my God, I don't know, right? I'm lying. So I'm thinking, screw it, I'm gonna lie, I'm gonna leave, I'm never gonna see her again, all right? So I'm like, it's snowing in India. So I leave thinking I'm never going to see her again. Guess what? She does amazing nails. <laughs> so I have to go back to her. So for the next six months, I have to study. <laughs> One to two hours on India because the questions are getting harder and harder and harder. Finally, after six months, she's like, well, what's the major export of India? I was like, I don't know. Look, I can't do this anymore, okay? I'm not Indian, I'm Mexican. I'm Mexican! She's like, oh, honey, I know you're Mexican. You pay with debit card. I'm just with you. Cristela Alonso. Visit her website, cristelaalonso.com, to check out her tour dates. You can also listen to her podcast, To Be Continued, with Cristela Alonso, which debuted earlier this year. That's all for this week's Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where there was a really intense but completely fake protest that we watched the other day. I mean, like police and picket signs and the whole nine yards. In fact, it took us a while to figure out that it was for a TV show or something. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He had help from Christian Duenas and Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow at MaximumFun.org is Jesus Ambrosio. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. All our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Our theme was recorded by the Go Team and provided to us by them and by their label, Memphis Industries. If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, all of them are free. Just go to MaximumFun.org. And while you're at it, check out the Bullseye page on Facebook. We'll share all of our interviews with you there. And you can follow Bullseye on Twitter, at Bullseye. Lots of great comments and thoughts, and we share interviews there and all that stuff. So 
follow us there. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.